0: Welcome back to School of Science Radio. I'm Gino Ganello, and join this week, because we're going to get into a little bit of the women's team talk, we bring in our women's team correspondent, uh, Ian Decker. Ian, how are you doing today?
1: I'm good. Yeah, I'm good. It's good to be back. Thanks for having me, Gino.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And uh, you know, a lot of big women's team news, so obviously we wanted to get you on and talk about all the things that are going on over there. Um, But Let's start with the men's team for right now. They did play a game over the weekend. Um, excuse me. Well, not even on the, over the weekend, on Monday. Uh, losing to Wolves, uh, excuse me, 2-1 after their um, disaster at Watford, or against Watford the weekend before. Goals by Kilman and Jimenez. Uh, Everton, uh, their goal came in the 66th minute, um, scored by Alex Wobbe to bring it within one. But, um Nothing really after that. Um, Everton lose their third straight for the first time since this t- this exact time really last year, um, and it was a tale of two halves. The first half, let's start there, um, or let's let's not. It's not even started the first half. Let's start before the first half with um, the starting lineup. What were your thoughts when you saw the starting lineup? Obviously, Everton kind of having to piece some things together with the injuries to Lucas De- Luca Dean. Um, and obviously Mina still being out to being out, you know, a host of players still being out. What were your thoughts on the lineup?
1: Yeah. Uh, you know, w- when it came out, I think it's Rafa doing the best he could with what he had available. Um, I mean, I, th- I think the partnership of, of Gray and Richarlison, it, you know, with, with DCL still hurt. I mean, you get some kind of offensive pop up there um, I think I mean, we, I've, I've covered this many times on the show, but for me, Iwobi is—he's not a defender, he's not a forward, he's not a central midfielder. He's an out, out and out winger. Um, so I loved seeing him on the wings. I thought that hit, like the combination of him and Townsend, um, sandwiching um, Alan and Bamin was a solid call. I mean, looking at the roster, it's talented. I think individually, um, but you know, it just for whatever reason, just didn't work. Um, you know, didn't the result didn't come.
0: Yeah, I mean, um, again, with the lineup, I think a lot of people were excited to see Gabamon in there. I think, you know, there was some questions, you know, with DeCore out, Gabamon seemed like maybe he could be the like-for-like replacement or or a replacement that would maybe let Allen play more of that role. Um, And, um, you know, again, it is – we'll get into the Gabamon stuff in a little bit and how he was coming off the injury. didn't really get much time to work up, but – Other than that, I think this was about what you should have expected. The big one, again, Awobi. we're not really sure, as you mentioned. We're not really sure where he's supposed to be playing. Um, But I wasn't surprised. I figured that with Awobi, he was going, as we've seen with Carlo in in the past, you know, in, in recent year, or last year, I should say. Um, and then now with Rafa, he seems to be more of that defensive cover than someone like Gordon. There's been questions about Gordon's defensive cover. So I can understand it with the way Wolves play, with the wingbacks and the wingers, and thinking that Adama Traore was going to start, and, and a host of their other talented player potents I don't think even started. So, um, you know, I think that that was the reasoning behind it. So I understood the lineup. I understood why he went with who he went with. I didn't really have any problems. That was until – we stepped on the pitch, and then we started to play, which showed that there was a serious issue with um, a lot of the things that were going on. So let's get to that. The first half was an absolute disaster. Give up a, uh, a set-piece goal. Was Jimenez's a set-piece goal too? I don't even remember if that – I don't think it was a set-piece goal. But, um, but again, we, we have the discussion all week about the zonal marking and the set-piece goals, um, and Everton give up one – basically, you know, within a short period of time, I think the 28th minute is when they gave, they give up the goal. I mean, and then they give one up four minutes later, Wolves look like they could have scored five in the first half. Um, What went wrong here? Everything? (laughs) No. um, To your point, uh, Jimenez's
1: came off of Godfrey's mistake, um, which is a shame because I, Oh yes. Yeah. I forgot. about that. I've come on here and I've been a big proponent of Ben Godfrey in the past. Um, and you know, it, it was a mistake. He's, you know, he's in the wrong for that. Um, but it's just an unfortunate game. I will say it's nice to see Raul Jimenez back and playing, um, after the the skull fracture, the, the head injury, traumatic head injury, he suffered, uh, last season. So it's good to see him back. It's not great to see him scoring against us. Um, you know like we're talking about the the lineup individually looks fine it looks you know like a competent squad but i think for for so for so long we've just suffered from from mental lapses you know i mean in looking at the overall stats you know they bested us in possession but we had five shots on target to their four 14 shots to their 10 um i mean they they outpassed us for sure but you know corners they you know favors them 4 to 3 it's not like they were statistically dominating this game. I think for a lot of times when we're behind, we just kind of shoot ourselves in the foot. And I think that's been Everton to a T for a long time. Um and but you know, despite this loss, two points behind Wolves, um, sitting in tenth. I mean, there are a lot of teams that are within three, four, five points. Um, but I, I just think it's too many mental lapses that that got us.
0: Yeah, I I think I think the big problem, as as a lot of people pointed out, was the two-man midfield. I think that, or at least the midfield of Gabaminen and um, Alan. and, and uh, Alan. Yeah, I think that started to. I think that causes a real problem. We were outnumbered in the midfield, and it showed throughout the entire first half. I mean, we were just getting dominated in every single you know possible way. You saw Wolves just kind of turn the ball over and just move forward and, and kind of just attack us at will for the first 45 minutes. Um, it looked very much like the last 13 minutes of Watford. Um, and it was, I mean, it was just, it, it was a disaster really from, after everything that happened, it was a disaster from an Everton point of view. Was there anything that we could have done other than maybe changing the formation to, put, to include a third man in that midfield? Was there anything that you think could have changed for Everton, or was this just, um, you know, if they would have had a third man in the midfield, things would have been completely different? Um, or was it just they weren't operating the two-man midfield correctly and there, the other pieces weren't working well either together?
1: Yeah, one of the things I was going to point out is that, you know, with Iwobi and Townsend on the wings, you're not going to get a whole lot of defensive support from those two players. Uh-huh. So it really puts a lot of emphasis on Alan and Bamin's defensive abilities. And, and like you're saying, you know, you know, one of them is returning from a three, four serious injuries and a lot is north of 30. So asking them to patrol the entire midfield is a big ask, mm-hmm. but you know, I'm looking at the midfield and I don't know, maybe you push, I mean, Richarlison doesn't like to be a striker, but maybe you push Richarlison in the center. You have gray and either a Woby and Townsend on the wing. And then you bring in another defender defensive kind of minded midfielder for the central Portion of the pitch but I'm looking at the team I mean maybe they brought in Delph Anthony Gordon I'm not a huge Tom Davis fan so what I've liked to have seen someone else in the midfield sure but looking at the bench I'm not really sure who they could have brought on um like to make it to make really a significant difference
0: yeah I mean I think um you know I'm not sure I think the formation was the biggest problem I think if they added I, I think if they added um another midfielder or did what they did in the second half i think what they did in the second half ended up working um and we'll get into the what the whys and whys not why nots of that but um i mean i think the a big problem you know listen as we mentioned Gabamon was he was taken off at half obviously poor but i mean how much of this was you know being put in a bad situation in two man you know a two man midfield with uh, and how much was it, or how, excuse me, how much was it him being poor and how much was it him being in a two man midfield with real, no, like no real recovery before this, uh, before this game really just getting thrown into the fire right away without playing even 15 minutes in any game. How much, you know, do you think that if Gabamin was given the right formation and, and maybe the right circumstances and had some time to work up that it would have been different or was this a product of Gabamin being poor that it was just never going to work?
1: I think to a certain extent it was him being poor. But I, I don't want to say that that is fully why, you know, the team struggled. I, I think that's, it's unfair to put all that on him. You know, I mean, he's been injured a long time. The, the Prem takes a while to get acclimated to. I mean, it, it's the most physical league. It's, it's the fastest league. There's so much going on that, I mean, he's really just been thrust into it um, with not a whole lot of support. And again, I mean, I think that the the tactical decisions that Rafa made certainly didn't help bombing. Um, I think that they, to a certain extent, kind of highlighted his, his defensive deficiencies, um, which didn't help. So I think to a certain extent, it was him maybe being, having, you know, a poor game, but he definitely wasn't set up for success with the team selection mm-hmm. or by the manager.
0: Yeah, I, I think, I mean, listen, I mean, I don't, I I understand the situation that he was put in. I mean, kind of Delph was the same way though, right? It just that, and this is why maybe I think it was just the poor formation and things getting really, uh, you know, he was getting tossed in the fire, not only, uh, not only getting tossed in the fire, but also being put in a poor formation that didn't really help him. Um, But I mean, Delph came in and, and, and he was, you know, fine after the, um, after not playing for forever as well. So um, you know, it's hard to put into that, but Delph again, also hasn't been out as long as Gabamon has <laughs> Gabamin's been out for like two years at this point, it feels like, um, but yeah, it was, uh, you know, I think the two man midfielders really killed them. And I, I think it, it's unfortunate for Gabamon because I think a lot of people are going to kind of write him off now. And even the manager may write him off, but, um, I'm not sure there was much he could have done. I think he did as much as he could have done coming back from the injuries he had come back from and not with with no recovery time, but they do make the change with Delph. Were you impressed? Were you surprised at what Delph did? What did Delph do that kind of settled things down for Everton in the second half?
1: Yeah, I think just like we're saying, he's he's a guy who's been around the prem for a long time. I mean, he spent years with Aston Villa he was at a top club with city, you know, now he's with us. He's just a guy who he knows the league in and out. He can come in. Um, would i would like to have seen Delph start over bombing? Maybe. I mean, I'm happy to see Bamin in there just so he can get minutes. I mean, he's been so injury riddled over the past three uh-huh. years, you know, however long we've signed him, but you know, I, I think Delph is just a better game manager. He's, he's more of a calming presence. He's, you know, he's not going to lose his head out there most likely. Um, So I I don't know. I I thought that for the most part, he brought kind of a calming tone um, Uh and just like a veteran presence to the team out there. Um, I I mean, you know, I I thought he, he was serviceable. I thought,
0: yeah, no, I, I mean, I thought he did a good job. I think calming presence is, is exactly right. I think that's how, um, you know, how, how to describe it. I think he was very good at at controlling the ball and transitioning towards that, uh, you know, offensive attack. Which can really help, you know. That's a huge part of Everton's game that misses that they miss without Decore. So, um, you know, I think Delft did that really, really well, and I'd be shocked to not see him start again on Sunday if that, you know, if he is fit and good to go. Um, but yeah, really good job by him. And Everton again looked significantly better in the second half. How much of the that though was Wolves just sitting back and kind of absorbing some pressure and maybe you know, putting themselves in the back foot, you know, because they had the two, two goals and how much of it what, was what Everton was really doing and, and whether Everton were really changing anything and, and were actually better than Wolves in the second half or was it Wolves just kind of sitting back and soaking up pressure and kind of not really showing an attacking presence because they were already up to nothing.
1: Yeah. I think it was more the latter. I you know one of the things I wanted to mention is that Molyneux is, is a tough place to play.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, you know, w- when the fans get rocking, I mean, it's it's one of the harder grounds in the Prem to play at. So I, I think that that combined with them being up, you know, a, until, you know, an hour, six minutes, you know, 66 minutes in, um, definitely played into their their game plan. I, You know, yeah. I think that they could just kind of stack the back and, and absorb pressure and Again, I don't think Everton really had the personnel to, to break down Wolves. I mean, they're a disciplined team defensively. They know their, you know, their positional requirements. And I just don't think that Everton had the players on the pitch to really break down Wolves' defense in the second half.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think, yeah, I think that, you know, there is the element of Wolves sitting back. I think Everton played well. And I listen, I think, um, and, and maybe we'll get into this too, I mean, I, at the end of the match, I think I felt like Everton could have won if the bounces went their way. If everything else goes exactly the same way, and as I, and I said this in the chat, it's not a strong argument or a you know a you know a tight argument, but um, you know if everything goes just the same in in both halves as they did, and you know Wolves don't get the bounce from the bad pass back, and Everton do get the bounce from the Richarlison. Um, where Richarlison was able to put it, and where was able to put in the back of the net on the bad pass back by the Wolves defender, this is a two-one game that Everton win. Um, so, you know, it's hard to be, it's hard to look at it and say, you know, Everton. I, I feel, I felt like there were times where I thought Everton had a real chance to tie things up, and I thought they were going to, which is a lot to say for this team considering how poor they were in the first half. Um, but again, you know, it's. I, I think a lot of it was also Wolves sitting back. I think the change in formation helped. I think the bringing on of Anthony Gordon helped. Um, but I, I think, you know, a lot of it was just ever it was just Wolves sitting back and kind of absorbing some of the pressure. I'm not sure the game goes similarly if it's one-one at the half or even one-nothing at the half, where Wolves don't have as much of a cushion. Um, because you did start to see them get it back in the game a little bit once Everton scored, but overall, I think um, you know. I, I, I listen. I was happy with how Everton performed and bounced back in the second half. We have been a second half team, really. Um, and it'll you know we'll, we'll see if things continue to move in that direction this coming week. Owobi gets the goal in the the 66th minute. The goal was kind of coming. Everton were putting a lot of shots on net, or a little or at least, a lot putting a lot of shots. Towards the net, um, obviously there was a little bit of luck into getting into the position where he was at. Godfrey shoots the ball; it bounces, ping-pongs around. Woby happens to be there standing. But good finish by Woby. Were you impressed by him in this one, at least in the second half, or was it? You know, obviously he didn't get too much, too much run in the second half because because Gordon came on. But um, you know, what were your thoughts on Woby in this one and the finish for the goal?
1: Yeah, I mean, look bouncing around those are always hard to corral so I, I think for the goal look at the end of the day I'm happy to see a Wobi scoring um you know it's, it's hard for me to get a read on Wobi. you know some games he he looks like he has it he looks like he, he's going to justify the 25 30 million you know price tag that Everton coughed up to sign him from Arsenal mm-hmm. and then there are other games where I just say I just I don't you know I don't I don't see it from him and you know he was touted as a young as a young prospect and you know an up and coming talent in Europe. But I just and I think that in those games where I haven't seen it, he hasn't been used positionally, in you know correctly. Like I think that there were times where he'd have to play kind of you know like a, a wing back almost, or you know he was asked to track back, and that's just not who he is. That it does not favor his skill set. But I mean, again for. What he had to work with. Wolves again are a really hard team to break down. I thought that I don't know. I, I thought Monday's game wasn't his worst performance. Um, and, and again, yeah. I mean, the goal. You know, if he, I think he's also a player who just needs confidence. And and if a goal will give him that, then I'm all for it.
0: Yeah, I don't. I don't think it was his worst performance either. I don't think you could stand there and stand here and say that the reason we lost was because Woby was played. I, I mean, listen. I think we would have been significantly more attacking if Anthony Gordon would have started. But I also don't know if Alex Owobi was the worst decision that was made to put on the team sheet. I think he performed well enough, gets the goal, um, and then we bring on Anthony Gordon. And again, even with playing Alex Iwobi, there was still a chance to win this game. And I don't think the breakdowns defensively were because of Alex Iwobi playing and not Anthony Gordon. I don't think Anthony Gordon would have helped any more. So, um, you know, I, I think Iwobi played a good game, good finish. Um, you know, I mean, I know it's, you know, kind of ping ponging around. There was a lot of deflections and uh, just kind of opened up for him, but you know, it's still a difficult finish. I think he hit it first time. So, um, you know, still a good job by him to, to finish that off and get a goal and really bring the Everton team into it. They look significantly better. Um, again, as I said, I honestly thought that they were going to score second um, because of how good they looked in the second half. Um, they sort of seemed on the front foot, but it doesn't come to that. The final whistle blows. And, everton or you know losing everton end up losing 2 one um how much of this result in the team's recent performance for you falls on the shoulders of rafa
1: it's It's always fun to scapegoat the manager <laughs> um but i don't know the look the Watford game was awful, just absolutely atrocious, horrendous you know enter synonym wherever you want but that you know, other than that, a 1-0 loss to a quality West Ham team, 2-1 loss to, you know, another quality Wolves team, tied United, you know, they get the win over Norwich. I mean, dating back to late September, the results obviously haven't been stunning. But, you know, I kind of, I look at the Watford game and, you know, Southampton in the past two years has lost, you know, multiple 9-0 games or, you know, whatever it is. And, you know, sometimes teams just fall apart and, you know we're talking about the the mental fortitude or lack thereof of everton mm-hmm. and you know against wafford goal in the 78th 80th 86th 91st i mean like i just think that you know one goal goes in momentum is killed two goals three goals and it's so easy to fall apart look at barcelona in the champions league last season against bayern i mean you know i mean they got totally toasted and it's just when the momentum starts to swing if you don't recover quickly boom it it, that can be it. So that's more of my read on the Watford game. I don't really want to take that and say that, you know, we're Everton is over with, but just looking at the past five matches, it hasn't been great. But you know, we're not getting blown out. Um, you know, we've scored a couple goals and it's again, I'm kind of taking out the Watford game. Um and you know, I think that again, for what he's had to work with, you know, I think that regardless of the manager Every Everton coach is going to have to deal with this mental, you know, fatigue or this mental just not all with it that Everton seems to present every season, and that that is the hardest thing to get over with this team. So the results haven't been great, but I don't fault Rafa too much.
0: Yeah, I mean, listen, I think that there were some formational things that could have been done differently over the last couple of games, and and you saw as Damari Gray and Anthony Gordon were taken off, how we kind of fell apart against. Watford but again you can't fault him for those situations I don't think I understand that maybe it wasn't the best and maybe starting Rondon as much as he started Rondon wasn't the best idea but at the same time I think when you look at those decisions objectively and if they would have won that game 2-1 you would have said Rafa made the right decisions because he brought off the more attacking players to put in more defensive minded players I, you know it's not his fault that the players went out there and couldn't execute um because they you know in the end, if you take out the last 60 minutes, the 13 minutes from – or 14 minutes from the Watford match and the 45 minutes from the, the Wolves match, if, you, if those never happened and Everton, you know, played well and ended up losing 2-1, they tied it in the first half and then ended up losing 2-1 to Watford and, you know, they lose – or when or, they, you know, say don't give up any goals – excuse me, lose 2-1 to Wolves, don't give up any goals against Watford and they win that match. You know, I think you're looking at it and you're like, okay, like it's been up and down, but we're dealing with it without the with the injuries we have, and um, you know, things are alright. I mean, I think the, the the way that Everton collapsed and the way they looked um, on Monday obviously have fans a little bit more riled up than um, you know than they typically would be. Um, but I think that you know, it was a bad 60 minutes. I think other than that, we've had a pretty solid, you know, with the injuries that we've had, we've done well enough. And we're going to start to get some of those players back after the international break. This game against Tottenham is going to be tough, but we've, um, we're have we going to get some of these players back after the international break. And I think things will start to turn again. And, you know, I'll say this, you know, and, and I said it on last week's podcast, Everton are at a place right now where, Firing them, sacking the manager is not an option. I don't think it's an option unless we are in a serious, serious situation where we're in the middle of relegation. Like if we're desperately needing a manager because we are in relegation, then I understand. But if the manager is keeping us in that mid-table where it's eighth to thirteenth, I I, at this point I can't see it. I can't see any reason for it because when you look at how things have gone, the manager hasn't changed anything. This team is the same as it was five years ago when they sacked Roberto Martinez or however long it was. um, You know, this, this team isn't any better off. It's the front office who has really caused this Everton team a lot of problems by not bringing in the right players and not spending in the right areas and not having a plan to execute so that no matter what manager was brought in, no matter what manager was given the task of trying to turn this Everton team around, at least there was a, a build there and a, you know, a, a solid foundation. For too long, this board has been trying to patch up these little things, these, these holes with, with old players and players who you know, maybe are past their prime and players that bring a lot of attention to the club but may not be the right players for the club. Um, and now it's cost us. Here we are short-term, five years later, whatever it is, and we have huge wage bills. We're you know, trying to offload Deadwood. We don't have money to spend in the transfer window. Um, and I think it's hard to blame Rafa for all of that. You can't, you can't blame Rafa for any of that. He's been put in this situation, been given 1.7 million pounds to spend, and the three players he brought in have all been pretty solid in Begovic, Gray, and Townsend. Um, he's been cursed with the Everton curse of injuries, and and this year it's been injuries in extremely important areas with Mina, Ducore, DCL, Dean. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so, I mean... I think it's time that we stop trying to expect this team to go out there and this team to finish in the top six or the top five or the top four. That's not going to happen right now. This team needs stability. It needs growth. It needs a foundation. And we are not going to do that by sacking another manager within the first 18 months. So even if it's 13th this season and 13th against again, next season, I don't think, that there's any reason to sack the manager. I think we need to see him get a few players in and then go from there. Um, so, um, you know, I, I think that we have to stop expecting so much and expecting, you know, I think that the changes, if there's going to be changes, need to come from the board and the front office and the director of football rather than uh, the manager because we've sacked five managers at this point and none of it's worked. So um, it's um, it's not great. Situation's not awesome, but um, but here we are. We have one game left before the international break, which we'll get into. Um, But first, before unless you do, you have anything else you want to comment on this game? No. Awesome, awesome. So let's move on from this. Let's put this behind us and let's get into the Everton women's team. But first, let's take a quick break. All right, we're back and we're talking about the Evertons women, Everton women's team. We mentioned, you know, obviously, we talked about Rafa not being sacked. Well, Willie Kirk, the, uh, the Everton women's manager for at least two or three seasons at this point, I'm not sure the exact time, um, was sacked earlier this month, I think in the middle of October, or excuse me not earlier this month, but in the middle of October, um, after a start that saw them lose three of their first five uh, women's Super League matches. Um, without scoring a goal in any of those losses and losing to Man City 4-1 in the first group stage match of the FA WSL Cup. Let's start with the sacking in general. Was this a surprise that they sacked Kirk? He, he seemed to be the guy that was there to build the project, kind of take this team from the ground up. But after a rough start, after so much expectation after the players we brought, who they brought in, which we talked about, and, and kind of the quality of the squad, he gets sacked after a rough start what were your thoughts on this? Was it time? Was it a surprise? Give me the lowdown.
1: Yeah, it absolutely was time uh, for sure. He, you know, Kirk did a lot for the team when he was first appointed. He was hired in December of 2018. The team was floundering to the bottom of the table and uh, he, he worked his magic and with not the most talented squad, he was able to keep the team from being relegated. Um, and then, I mean, each season they improved under him. And so it, it wasn't as much a lack of improvement with Kirk that cost him his job. It was more his inability to take the team to the next step. Um, they, they were improving, but not to the level that they needed or expected based on the players they signed. Um, I mean, talk about a talented team. If you look up and down the roster, the, the transfers that the team made this summer, players they brought in, they brought in Kenza Dali, who is a French international, Tony Duggan, who spent time with the English national team. They brought in three Swedes, Anna Anvigard, Natalie Bjorn, and Hannah Benison. They brought in a midfielder from Italy, Aurora Galli, and then they brought in a right back, Leonie Meyer from Germany. And, you know, so the types of players that they brought in, there was an expectation that they were going to be competitive. Now, I think that Kirk definitely didn't do himself any favors in the first portion of the season because had he had at least somewhat better results, I think he might have kept his job. But to start the season, Everton lost to Man City 4-0, and then in the next game they lost to Chelsea 4-0. They had two good wins against Birmingham and Reading, going six goals and one against in two games. And then after that, they lost to Arsenal 3-0. And then in the next, in the FA WSL Cup, they lost 5-1 to, to City. So, you know, had they lost to City 2-0, had they lost to Chelsea 2-1, had they lost to Arsenal 1-0, had they lost to City 3-1, you know, maybe we'd be sitting here and Willie Kirk would still be the manager of Everton football. But, I mean, they got absolutely hammered to start the season. After making all these splashy transfers – uh-huh. So, you know, there were a couple of injuries, yes, but I think that the board realized that Kirk was way out of his depth. He's he's a quality mid-table type of team, but I think the board just got frustrated. They obviously invested in the team this this transfer window, the summer transfer window, and the results weren't coming. His Kirk's tactics just never worked. What bothered me about Kirk's tactics was that, he, would, he wouldn't He would try to find the best formation for Everton. He would try to find the best formation to play against the other team. So, you know, against Chelsea, he would try to pick this five-back defensive starting 11 that didn't really work, and the fit was, was clunky, the fit was awkward, and the results, they got hammered. So I think that Kirk was – he was trying to play too much to – you know, mitigating the strengths of other teams as opposed to really playing up the strengths of his own team. Um, And I think at the end of the day, that cost him because right now they're in eighth place and, you know, they only have six points 2 they've won two games, you know, a minus six goal differential. They just, they've looked lackluster and it's real disappointment considering the players that they brought in this transfer window.
0: Yeah, I completely get that. I just the the one thing I, I wonder is is you know I mean, and I think you 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 mentioned this a little bit too, you know, it wasn't an easy start to the schedule. Um, and I think when we talked, we we said that we weren't sure if they were going to be above the likes of the Arsenal's, the Chelseas, the Manchester Cities of the Women's Super League. We didn't know if we were there, if they were there yet. So I think it would have been fair. I think it's fair to say that you know maybe a little bit better was. Res- not wins. Um, I don't know if they would have managed wins, but I think better results in terms of not giving up as many goals. I think that would have been fair because we didn't expect them to beat. I don't think the, those top teams, I think when we talked, we expected them to be just outside that champions league spot in like fourth, right? Cause the top three, I believe you mentioned um, advance to the champions league. So, I think a better result against those clubs where we're scoring goals and, and, and not giving up as many goals would have been an acceptable result. Um, and, and I don't know if he would have gotten sacked at that point because he did. He has beaten all the teams that he ex- was expected to beat. Um, but, you know, I, I think it, it comes as a little bit of surprise only for me just because of, and, and again, I don't follow the team as much as you do, Ian, so you know more than I do. But, you know, just how he built this project and, and managed to um, put things together. And you, you figured they would give him maybe a little bit more time to figure it out with the entire new squad that he had. But again, you know, I, there is only 12 teams in this league, so I'd imagine the season is a little bit shorter than the men's season. Is that correct? Um,
1: yeah, it goes, it goes the t- same time. It ends in early May, mid-May, but there are, they don't play as games as frequently as the men.
0: As frequently. Yes. So, I mean, you know, the clock is ticking a little bit on this season and you don't want things to go to waste, you know, especially with the talent you have, wasting a season is, is a serious issue and could cause some serious problems, not only financially, but within the team. Um, so I understand the, I understand the sacking from that point. And, and, and in all honesty, they might've had this lined up when they made the the decision to sack Willie Kirk. It did take a couple weeks to come through, though. Um, They bring in former uh, Lyon manager and Women's Champions League winner, Jean-Luc Vasseur, who, you know, obviously well-touted, you know, manager in the world, winning the Champions League and, uh, you know, coaching for a team like Lyon, who is one of the best teams in women's football. Um, Who is he? What do you, you know, what should we expect from him? What does he bring to the table Tell us a little bit about who this manager is that Everton's women's team has brought in and uh, kind of your thoughts on the whole thing and, and then what, what, we, what we should expect, um, you know, maybe moving forward. Sure. Um, one last point on Kirk. I think the reason that
1: he lost his job at, at the end of the day is that at the end of last season, they, they lost to Arsenal 2-1. They lost to Man City 1-0 near the end of the season in a, in a game where City scored in the 81st. You know, mm-hmm. the team qual—they made the the FA Cup final, uh, where they lost to Man City three one, but it went to extra time. You know, and on that run, they beat Chelsea. So they're you know, and then they beat Manchester United in the FA Continental Cup. So yeah. the results were there; like they did have some quality results. Yeah, and I think this season the team took a huge step back, which was really discouraging to the board because the T last year's team seemed really close and then they invested in improved the squad and it took a step back. So I think that's really where Kirk lost the faith of the board and and ultimately cost him his job. But in terms (laughs) of uh, Vassour, I believe that's how you pronounce it. um, Yes.
0: They were guessing at best.
1: (laughs) Um, He is a 52 year old French uh, former player manager um, who has coached at, you know, some of the, the bigger, well, he's, he's, he's been around, obviously, like you, you mentioned, he coached, uh, Leon, the women's team, which is, you know, for the past decade or so been known as, as the top team in European women's football, um, just some of his accolades. So like you mentioned, he won the champions league in 2019, 20, um, this, he also won the, um, division one title that season. Um, as well as winning the Coupe de France. (laughs) Um, So he's very well, well accomplished. Um, He was named uh, UEFA women's coach of the year in 2019, 20. And then he was world soccer's women's world manager of the year in 2020. Um, I mean, look, most, well, maybe not most, but a a competent coach would be able to go into that team and have success. um, Just, due to the nature of the players. I mean, those are some of the most talented players in the world. You know, picking a squad is pretty easy. You have, you know, the heart of the French national team. And then you essentially have the, you know, top players hand picked from some of the other top European nations. So th- that's not to discredit any of the accomplishments he did. You obviously have to manage a lot of big personalities yes. at a club like that. And he showed that he could. Um, but yeah, I mean, this is a guy who's won everywhere he's been. He, he knows how to get the job done. He's, he has worked with big personalities, with big egos, and he knows how to kind of keep everyone happy. Um, so I think from, just from a, a success perspective, this is a huge coup for Everton. This is a great signing. And I think that it's, you know, it's kind of the transition of maybe not the hottest coach to a really top-notch coach who, who can get, come in and really start helping the team win.
0: Was this a name that was kind of on the radar, or expected, or is this kind of a name that came out of out of left field for the for the Everton women's team?
1: Yeah. So so when when Kirk was relieved of his of his duties, there was there was some chatter about who they could potentially get, and Vassour's oh. name was a name that was thrown out there. And and I think initially the the reaction was, what? He's gonna he, he's gonna come here. He he wants to go from. <laughs> You know, Leon, where he was sacked um, in late April of 2021. Um, but, you know, from a guy, you know, he goes from winning Champions League to managing a team where there's no guarantee of even qualifying for the Champions League. In fact, that could be a long shot. I think that people were thinking, wow, that's it's, it's interesting. he would want to come to Everton. But as the process moved forward, there was, you know, increased momentum. And talks really picked up between the two sides. And, you know, about a week later, week and a half later, he was he was announced as Everton's manager.
0: Which is awesome. And I think it's, like you said, it's a huge coup for, for Everton's women's team. I think this is, with the talent that they have in the team, it, it is great appointment. I mean, we're looking at, you know, the Everton men's team is underperforming, but there are reasons for that. And maybe they aren't underperforming. Maybe this is where they should be, um, as I mentioned before, and where we should have expected them to be but the women's team has the talent to compete with the best of the best. And as you mentioned there a little bit earlier, you know, they even with the talent they didn't have last year, they were competing with the best of the best. So, um this is um you know, this is a a team that is there to get into the Champions League now and is kind of in a win now, you know, you know, has kind of a win now mindset and you needed to get a manager in that was going to be able to advance that and and, and kind of make that um you know, make that next step now. Willie Kirk took the first big step. Now we make the next big step. And I think it's a really great signing. I think that as a guy who's managed, like you said, Egos and Leon and um, has managed a Champions League winner and has managed those big time games, um, that's something that they could really use. So um, a really big coup for them. And In their first match under him, they win 3-1 over Leicester in the FA WSL Cup um, group stage. Their second group stage match, again, of course, Willie Kirk got fired after their first group stage match. Um, Leicester do sit in 12th out of 12 teams in the WSL. Um, But was there a difference in how this team played? Were there kind of positive signs, positive vibes? You know, things that showed a change, even in the two weeks that there was a change in, formation tactics mindset things like that um in this match
1: sure um i think just to start you know i don't want to discredit this win at all um i think that getting you know your first win in your first game as a new manager is vital to long term success but through five games lester has not won a game they're 0 and 5 they haven't even drawn one they've only scored two goals um, they've conceded 13 they are most likely going to get relegated so I think it's it's definitely fortunate that Leicester happened to be uh, Vassour's first opponent. I think it definitely helped inspire confidence in the team, and you know it, it got him off on the right foot. Um, but you know, from from a personnel standpoint, it, I'm interested to see if this if the team he selected against Leicester, how consistent he'll be with that lineup moving forward. You know, in terms of whether this starting eleven will be his go-to. Um, but you know, again, from, from a talent perspective up and down the lineup, he opted for a four, three, three, um, he did play six of his new signings, um, or of the team's new signings from the summer. So over half the team, but I mean, you know, again, I, I thought that they looked good. Lester is struggling. Yes, but they have some solid teams. Um, or they have some solid players. Jess Sigsworth is, is a quality forward. Um, Abby McManus was, you know, she was with the um, England national team at the 2019 women's world cup. And there are a couple former Evertonians with Molly Pike and Georgia Bram. So the team, there is some talent on the team, but looking at the stats, Everton outshot Lester nine, two, uh, with shots on target, they held 60% of the possession. Um, corners, they were tied on four, but, for the most part, they they really dominated this game. And, and again, I think it's a great, it's fortunate that this was the match that they drew for Vasour's first game. And, and maybe that was intentional. Maybe the, the, you know, the board was looking at the previous results against Man City and saying, Oh, you know, this, you know, we just, we've kind of hit hit a wall and we can't do much better than this. And um, you know, Kirk was out, and they said, okay, look, Leicester's our next game. That's a winnable game. Looking at Everton's matches moving forward, they play Brighton, which is a winnable game, Man United, which is a winnable game. They get Leicester again in the league, another winnable game. They go with they go against Durham in the League Cup, very winnable. They get West Ham, and then they get United in the uh, Continental Cup. So I think – This was the perfect time to pivot. They don't play a big three team until the new year. They don't play until January 16th. They have a game against Chelsea. So I think the timing really worked out. And I honestly think that you could see Everton really turn a corner um, to finish out the year.
0: Yeah. And I'm just looking at the schedule and, and you mentioned Brighton, Brighton currently in fifth place right now, three points above Everton Uh, their goal differential is at five. So, I mean, listen, they're not going to jump above them technically in the table with a win, but um, they could tie them on points in fifth with a win. The two teams above Everton other than Brighton or in between Brighton and Everton are are West Ham and Villa. West Ham plays Arsenal this weekend. Villa plays Chelsea this weekend. So those presumably can be losses and probably will end up being losses, especially with Arsenal taking all – 15 points from their first five matches. Um, so this is a team that could find themselves with a win against Brighton tied for fifth place. And, and, you know, things are looking a little bit different at that point. So, um, you know, I, I think, and I don't know how you feel about this. This is the next question I, I have. Um, you know, obviously we sit in a, they sit in eighth point eight and eighth on six points through five games. They're nine points off the top six points off of a champions league spot. Um, what's the expectations for the rest of the year? Have they changed because of the bad start? Um, is this, you know, because of the new appointment, has anything changed? Um, you know, what's kind of the expectations now for this women's team? As I just mentioned, you know, uh, less games, but still not too far off of those Champions League spots or off of where they expected to be. Thoughts on on what we should expect now the rest of the season?
1: Yeah, I think outwardly you're going to see a much more tepid approach I think that the 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 players coaching staff even the front office I think that they're going to take more of a reserved approach of you know we are you know we're just going to try to take it one game at a time you know we don't our expectations are to have you know consistent results we want to improve which is which is really a 180 from where they started off the season there was a lot of excitement and anticipated momentum going into the season after the, the transfer window that they had and, you know, there were talks of, we want to break into the top three. We want to, you know, we, we want to bring home silverware. And I think the results have kind of shown the team that they're not there yet. And so I think that that kind of enthusiasm is being reeled in a little bit. And the stance is, is going to be more, okay, you know, we're going to take it one game at a time. We're being patient. We need to build, um, you know, we have the talent to build and improve. Um, but honestly, I think that, Internally, I think that that goal is still there. I think that the the hope and the aspiration is still to qualify for the Champions League. um I just think that outwardly they're going to pump the brakes on kind of promoting that as much as they did at the beginning of the season.
0: Which is is understandable. I mean, listen, you know, there is still we did talk about this at the beginning of season too. There's a lot of new faces to adapt to the situation, and now you add one more with a new manager with new tactics, where the whole team has to learn everything new now. Um, so you know, it, it may take some time, but as you mentioned, a favorable schedule for them coming up the rest of the season. Um, So let's hope we see some improvement now with the new manager. And, um, you know, as you said, you know, the champions league is still within reach. I don't think it's, it's out of reach. I think there's still an opportunity with, especially the way Manchester city has started only on four points. Um, Tottenham has kind of jumped up there in the top three. I don't know if that was expected or not. You would know more than I would. Um, But, um, but, but, I think this team really has a chance still to make those the, those top three positions, and even if they don't, I think just getting into fourth and and managing to you know maybe just be right outside would still be a good um you know a good a good spot for them to be in um anything else you want to add to this
1: you know i I think that it's it's always important you know you never want to see someone lose their job you're never rooting for someone to lose their job. Yeah. You know, I, I, my thoughts go out to Willie, Willie Kirk. You know, I, I hope I look again, I, I think he definitely has the, the pedigree, the managerial chops to get a job in this league um, mm-hmm. or, you know, in another league, but he just, you know, he wasn't the right fit for Everton. And, you know, I, I credit the board for realizing that parting ways and going into a different direction. Cause it, I mean, he'd had, you know, well over two and a half years coming up on, you know, three, three and a half to kind of mold this team. And for what he did, he took them from a bottom of the league team to a top half team. And for that, you know, he deserves a lot of credit and recognition, but I think it was time for a change and I'm, I'm excited to see what the team looks like going forward.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. Awesome. All right. Um, Well, that wraps up the women's team talk. Let's uh, take another quick break and then we'll get into Everton against Spurs on Sunday. All right, we're back, and we're talking Everton Spurs on Sunday. Um, It'll take place uh, at 9 a.m. Eastern time over here in America, over there in England. I believe it's back to 2 p.m. British Standard Time because we do have daylight savings finally. So the week where everything is an hour later than normally is um, is is not the case anymore. Um, Tottenham currently sit one place above Everton in the table on in ninth. Uh, They're one point above them on 15 points. A little bit of a tough start for them. They are are at least a tough road for them so far. They did start with three straight one, nothing victories, but since then it's been a bit of a disaster. They've lost twice. Um, They've lost their last two premier league matches, including a three, nothing drubbing at man United that ended up seeing manager Nuno Espirito Santos uh, sacked um, and the hiring of Antonio Conte who oversaw a 3-2 win over the Tees in the European Conference League today. Um, Everton did defeat Tottenham twice last season uh, in in three matches, 1-0 in the first game, which was the first game of the season, uh, 5-4 in extra time in the FA Cup at home, and they drew 2-2 at home in April. couple things to note about this game. Everton have won just one of their last 17 against Tottenham. That was the 1-0 win last season in the Premier League, of course, That doesn't include FA Cup and whatnot. Um, Spurs have won the last eight times they've played at Goodison in the the Premier League. Um, But Tottenham have just nine league goals through their first 10 games, which is their fewest since 2013-2014. Tottenham's 103 shots through 10 games is their fewest since Opta started recording the stat in 2003-2004. But it could mean bad things for Everton if Tottenham do seem to find their form. A loss would mean 10 home losses in the calendar year, which has only happened three other times. Um, it's happened in 1929, 1958, and 1993. Um, and the last time Everton lost four in a row was October of 2019, the year that Marco Silva was sacked. Um, so let's talk about Conte first. How do things change with Conte at the helm as compared to as compared to um, uh, Santos? Do we expect a uh, manager bump here? Is this going to open up things for them because they have been pretty awful so far this season.
1: Yeah, I absolutely anticipate them getting a managerial bump. I I mean, I'm looking at what Conte did with Chelsea when he was first hired. Conte is is a manager who gets instant results. Um, He does run the risk of of burning out um, from a manager, from a player standpoint, results standpoint, but off the bat, he's a player who gets, I mean, he he's able to get results. He's had a proven track record of that. So, uh, you know, I, again, talking about managers losing their jobs, I, I feel for Nuno, um, you know, he gets 10 games. Obviously, the results are not where they want to be, you know, sitting in ninth with, you know, the wages they pay their players, the level of the the skill level of their players, obviously, is not where the club wants to be. But I think that, you know, appointing Conte is, is a, is a great move. He's, I don't know. I, I, I think that Tottenham is poised at least for, you know, the short term to have a good amount of success. Um, hopefully that doesn't start this weekend against Everton.
0: <laughs> yeah, I, I think so too. I've been listening to some things on Conte and, you know, I, I do play fantasy premier league, so they were doing a little in depth on him and his tactics and whatnot. He really has a, a perfect setup for what he likes to do. Um, in the in the Tottenham squad already, he likes to put a big front man like a Lukaku or like a Morata or like a Lorente alongside a smaller player like a um, you know like a Hazard or like a um, I think they, they used Tevez when in, in some I don't know they said Tevez as well um, but in this situation it's going to be Humming son who will be up there with him. Um, so this is, this team has the pieces, the wingbacks in and Reguillon and Emerson Royale. Um, they have the pieces to be a solid team up the middle. They might have to make a few changes and surely he will make some changes before the end of, um, January. I'm sure he will, um, you know, players like Deli Ali and Harry Winks just won't fit in the squad there. Um, but you know, the Tottenham faithful From what I've heard, and and again, my brother's a Tottenham fan, so I I hear firsthand from him, Nuno just wasn't good enough. Kane was coming too far deep to get the ball. The system wasn't working. The players weren't buying into it. You can tell Kane definitely wasn't there still. So there was a problem, and something needed to be changed. So especially with the talent at that club, and especially with Kane, and and you don't know what's going to happen in the next year, Kane could be sold in the summer, and this could be the last season they really have with him. So... We'll see how things play out there. But for right now, Antonio Conte is coming into a situation that he can again, once again, and I don't think he takes jobs where he can't do this, but he can once again come in and enforce an instant change. And it's going to be, um, it's going to be interesting to see how it plays. And unfortunately, Everton are the guinea pig for all of it. Um, uh, yes, they did play today against Fatisse um, and did get a result there despite there being three red cards in that game but Conte is going to change things at Spurs and and it's going to start with Kane and it's going to start with son and it's going to start with no Mina in the back for Everton. And we've already seen what Josh King and Dennis and Sara can do to the Everton defense. So I can only imagine what Harry Kane and Hyungman son with the renewed energy and a new manager and a new system that fits both of those players is going to do to this Everton team. Um, Is it, I mean, I, I know I kind of just went in there on, on what the situation is, but is it too early to tell what the biggest threat is, or do we kind of see Kane and Son oozing goals here right from the beginning?
1: Yeah, I'm I'm not overly enthusiastic <laughs> or anticipating <laughs> the, the matchup that <clears throat> we excuse me this weekend. Um, man, it's, I'm, so, I'm not, bad. You know, it's I'm so bad. It's so that bad, bad. huh? <laughs> <laughs> <clears throat> No, but I I don't know. I, I mean, look, we've we know what kind of team Tottenham is. We know the talent level that they have. You know, they are they have the expectations to fight for the top six every year for a reason. Um, and again, you know, Nuno's system clearly wasn't working. They opted for a change. And I, I know, I, I I worry that with the way we're trending, we're kind of sagging a little bit. And Tot- Tottenham is was also sagging, but I think that the Conte appointment really gives them an, an infusion of energy. So I'm, I, I am admittedly nervous about the weekend game.
0: Yeah, no, it's, it's definitely going to be, um, it's going to be interesting. I think, you know, without Mina in the middle, without Decoré in the middle, without these players that have been such a important part to the spine of the team, we don't know what Dean is going to be. Not that Dean has been great at all by any stretch of the imagination. We talked about that on the last podcast. Not that he's been good at all. I mean, he, he's been pretty awful this season as well. But I, I think that um, the injuries are going to hurt us in this one. And I think that it basically sets up really well for, um, for Spurs to kind of get back on track here. Um, how do you expect Everton to line up um, when it comes to uh, Sunday?
1: Yeah, you know, I think that this one's probably going to be a defensive formation. Um, just, again, going back to the the talent level and, and plus the injuries. I mean, w- without Mina, you have to try to figure out a way to get more defensive help in there. Um, obviously, Godfrey had a rough game against Wolves. Holgate, I'm just not sold on. Coleman is north of 30. Keen is, is a respectable piece, but I don't know. I, I just think that with – with Tottenham's offensive prowess, I think Rafa knows that offensively it's it's going to be hard for Everton to hang with Spurs. So I, I see more of a defensive unit, just kind of sit back, absorb pressure, try to break on the counter. Because um, I, I really don't see us doing much offensively against them.
0: Yeah, I think – I don't know. I Do they go with three at the back? I, I don't know. I mean, he's going to – It's. I would imagine it's going to be different – you know, uh, then, then sun or uh, Monday. But again, this Tottenham team will probably play a similar type of attack in using their wingbacks that wolves did. So that's going to be something he's going to neutralize. Would I be surprised if he put a Wobie in there? No. Um, again, because it seems like he is the defensive option for, um, for all managers. It seems like he just is the defensive winger. I expect to see Richarlison. I expect to see Townsend again. I expect to probably see Delph and um, Allen in the midfield. I expect to probably see Gray out. I would hope Gray, maybe Gray out left would be good um, instead of putting him in the middle. Um, But again, the back line is going to be interesting. If Dean's healthy, obviously you go with Dean. Do you go with Godfrey again in the middle with Keane or do you go with... Holgate with Keane. Um, I would give God free rest. I mean, he clearly has not been himself all season, and I don't think he's deserved to start. And I don't think Mason Holgate really did anything wrong on Monday to not deserve a start or not deserve an opportunity to go out there and, and prove himself alongside Keane for the time being until Mina gets back. So, um, listen, what do I hope? I hope we go three in the midfield, go two wingers, uh, a striker, and four at the back. And hopefully that works, and hopefully we can just if they are going to play a two man midfield, then maybe you know outnumber them but we'll see how we'll see how it plays out. Um, what needs to change from last game? How do everton get a result out of this game what's the um, you know what's kind of the re- recipe here for at least getting a draw somehow uh, in the, in this one
1: i honestly, I think that defensively we have to be flawless, which is a tough task. You know, I, I understand that that's a lot to ask with the injuries we have with, with the squad that's going to be put out, but you know, Godfrey's mistake last weekend, just little mistakes that have cost us points that have, you know, gifted the opposition goals. I think for us to win one, we have to be flawless defensively. The the game plan has to be perfect. Um, Two, again, I think that we just can't beat ourselves up. I think that to, to beat Tottenham, Every player needs to understand what's expected of him and follow that script. And then three, I think we have to really take our chances because I think, honestly, I don't know if we'll maybe we'll get one or two quality chances. And if we don't convert on those, I don't think we score. So, you know, defensive, just defensive stability and, you know, taking our chances, I think, are the two most important things for us.
0: Yeah, I mean, I don't think Tottenham's going to be have all their defensive problems solved right away. I think that there is going to be some leakage. I mean, listen, those center backs are not very good. There's not – you can't – you know, if Eric Dyer's playing, you know, that's that's an area where you can attack it. Um, And an area which I would imagine, you know, Damari Gray attacks. And if he's on the right side of that back three, if they do play back three, uh, maybe put Damari – move Damari to the middle if he's not already there and allow him to attack that right side. And kind of put a lot of pressure on Dyer as much as you can. Um, and stay away from the other two of Sanchez and, and Romero, which I would imagine is going to be the um, situation. But but listen again, you know, Vitesse had two goals today and, you know, got two red cards and, you know, Tottenham didn't score in the second half. So, um, you know, I think that there's going to be an opportunity at goal, how many opportunities we will get because of how far back we might have to sit just to soak up the pressure of Son and Kane and what they bring back and kind of cover that. I don't know. But it's going to be a tough battle. I I think if we can outnumber them in the midfield and we go with three in the midfield and they only go with two and maybe operate at a 3-4-3 or something like that, um, maybe we have a shot. Maybe maybe there's a shot there, um, you know, to kind of take advantage of that and, and, um, you know, get on the board early. Um, But it's, like you said, we're going to have to take advantage of all of our chances. Nothing really can be wasted. It's going to have to be, even if it's only five shots, it's going to have to be five quality shots um, but, and, and every time we get down the field, we have to try and get a shot off at least because, you know, again, it, it may not come easy, but, um, I think the hardest part about this is going, like you said, to be sh- defensively structured and, and to have some form of structure and not allow to what to happen last game in the first half. And at the end of the watch for game to happen again. So we'll see how it plays out. Do you have predictions for this one?
1: you know what? I, you know what? I'm going to play the hope Springs eternal card. I'm going to say that we get a one, one draw, you know, get a positive result and, you know, make a bunch of Evertonians happy.
0: I'm not going to be so, but I never am. Am I? Um, I'm not going to be so positive. I'm going to go with, um, I'm going to go with two, one to Tottenham. I just, I don't think we're there yet. I think without DeCore, without Mina, it's going to be a difficult, difficult time. So um, I think we're going to lose. I think we're going to lose. And I, I, I again, I won't be disappointed if we lose. I expect us to lose, I think. And I, I think anything better would be a, a significantly solid result. Um, but we'll see. We'll see how things play out. We'll see if we can play a little bit better. Ian, thank you for taking the time to talk to me today. I appreciate it.
1: My pleasure. Happy to be here.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Happy to have you. And, and to you guys out there, thank you for listening thank you for subscribing thank you for following just keep downloading and do whatever you got to do to get those episodes on whatever platform you have we appreciate it very much we will talk to you guys probably in 2 weeks probably in 2 weeks because of the international break so not next week but we'll talk to you guys in a couple of weeks after the international break